Hello, heroes, and welcome to Backstory. I'm your host, Alex Roberts. My guest today is Epidiah Ravichal, a well-known innovator in game design and publishing. His work spans experimental nano-games like Vast and Starlet, as well as storytelling systems like Swords Without Master and the Dread Gaius of Duke Volku. He also publishes the Sword and Sorcery magazine Worlds Without Master, which features short games, stories, and beautiful illustrations. You're probably most familiar with his groundbreaking, award-winning, Jenga-based RPG, Dread. Dread has a special place in my heart. So special, in fact, that I've been working for a long time on my own Jenga-based RPG, a two-player one, about forbidden love and unexpressed desire, called Tension. Some of you have heard about it, and some of you have played it. And soon, it's going to be published by Bully Pulpit Games. It's going to go to Kickstarter, and as soon as I know when, you'll know when, I promise. Also, if you're coming to Big Bad Con, the scheduled playtests of Tension have all filled up, but if you really want to play, um, come find me. We'll figure it out. Anyway, you can imagine what a delight it was to talk with Epidiah after being so inspired by his work. I hope you enjoy our mutual enthusiasm. You know, uh, one of the first things I want to ask you about, like one of the sort of the first things on my list, I have some questions about Dread. Um, But you must be sick to fucking death of being asked (laughs) questions about that game. Like, how do you feel about every interview opening that way? Uh, Well, well, thank you for asking. (laughs) Uh, uh, To some extent, that's true uh, in that, like... I am, uh, I, I am, I'm always happy to talk about Dread, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but, but yeah, I would dearly love, I mean, the whole point to what I'm doing now, uh, where I decided to spend September just talking about Swords Without Master is because I know in October, uh, it'll be wall to wall Dread leading up to Halloween. Oh, like right, that's, right. everyone's going to be, uh, sending me images and telling me about all their games, which, you know, I don't want to sound ungrateful at all. Uh, I'm actually, and, uh, I had, um, some recent experiences with dread that, uh, the sagas of sundry. Are you familiar with no. that? Is at that all? a geek and sundry okay, thing or? Yeah, it is. So, so it's, it's like, a. am struggling for the words here because I'm, I'm an, uh, I'm an older gentleman and I'm used to TV. <laughs> and so I want to be like, it's a channel, but it's okay. So there's a website called project alpha okay. and it is, they have videos on that, that website. It's those videos are behind a paywall. Uh, it's not much. I think it's like $5 a, a month or something like that. And they're geek and sundry and nerdist, like generally like geeky, nerdy things. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, think I'll be okay in assessing them as such. I always feel a little worried about using those words because when I was growing up there, they were pejoratives. But anyways. Which is hilarious to um, me, really. But <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, so they do a lot of shows where they do role-playing, right? So And the people doing role-playing are actors and voice actors. And, and, they, and when they do them, 
they're produced, like really produced. They have crews and directors and producers and, and all of that. And uh, they did a dread show. There was like a tabletop, international tabletop day where the thing, I think on Twitch, where they were doing uh, live uh, tabletop games and uh, one of the games that they were kind of cutting to from time to time or maybe they showed it in its entirety is was a uh, game of dread that several of the um, sort of stars from their other channels had all come together so it was like an all-star game kind of thing and they had a, like a giant Jenga and they had a oh. fake campfire and it was it's kind of nice and that apparently did quite well uh, so well that they decided to make a show out of it. So they got together and they filmed, um, for what they told me, 16 hours of a game. Wow. <laughs> I think I think because it's a production, that then definitely there was like uh, more to it than just playing the game for 16 hours. But um, they went all out. Like it was a, they had a, a set. It was an, again, it, they had like a fake campfire, but they had like a, uh, facade of an old house and uh, you know trees and stuff and and everyone was in costume <laughs> and they played this game and they added things to it like they had like physical challenges in it that were you know a little bit more from like Survivor or you know one of the reality show kind of situations and the kind that you would expect from a spooky game too right like you you stick your hand in this unknown mass of whatever and see what you can find that kind of thing so they cut it all down and it turned out to be like five episodes i think and uh it was a big hit uh they went to gen con so they released it like earlier this summer and they went to gen con and there are people at gen con cosplaying as their characters and yeah there's there are i think two tattoos i've seen related to this show right Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> so, so it's a little freaky. Uh, and they after after it all went down and um, it turned out to be a hit. And they did some really smart things too. Like uh, the they filmed it all and they recorded it. But then they had like these releases of it during which like they, it's not live. But they're saying like we're broadcasting it at this time so that anybody who's watching it can go online and watch it kind of at the same time and get in the chat room. So it had like a nice fan interaction thing there. They invited me down to their studios to do like a, I guess they called it one night only. It was sort of like a, an after show, I guess, <laughs> after they'd done, you know, months after they'd done it. And uh, so I got to see the studios. I got to meet all the people involved and they're lovely people. And, uh, but just to see this sort of secondary activity right Mm -hmm. because i wrote a game and then that game got used for a show and now you have a group of fans who have had no real interaction with the game except through the show and they're uh fans of the show right like so it's it's like a degree or so removed but it was it's kind of interesting to see some like it out in the world like that like propagating and becoming something other than just something that people are playing at their table now it's uh i do i haven't i haven't solidified all my thoughts about it yet it was kind of a 
uh, whirlwind when they invited me out there I didn't know what to expect and kind of uncovered it all in a matter of a couple days and I was like <laughs> what have you been doing just falling down this rabbit hole of yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow so. I, I feel like that's this intense exaggeration of what happens when you make a tabletop game though right because you you get right. super into like hyper dedicated doing this thing and then you're done with it but then yeah. you hand it off to other people, and in some cases, they are not done with it for decades. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and and people do uh, like amazing things with it, and and your relationship to mm-hmm. it uh, like definitely changes over the, the. Well, I mean, Dread was released about twelve years ago. Wow, I think if I can do my math right, uh, and I have gone up and down about that game. <laughs> <laughs> There, there are times when I was, uh, I mean, I've never really, you know, hated it, but there was definitely times where I was just a little tired that that was the only thing that people knew. Uh, and, uh, definitely, I'm definitely past that now and I'm in a good spot with it. I think it's, uh, I don't necessarily want to use the metaphor of a child, (laughs) but, uh, I feel like we've gotten through the teens with dread by now. (laughs) I think it's. Right. It's out on its own. We can keep like a respectful distance and I can be proud of what it's done and just. <laughs> <laughs> You're no longer actively shaping it. And now you have to like right. have a new relationship with it based on like mutual. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ac- that, that is perfect. Yes. That's really cool. I Okay. So I only have one question about the game itself sure. then. And you can reject yeah. it if it's one of those you've been asked it 12,000 times question. <laughs> But, you know, it's a game that came out sort of at the beginning of a particular wave of self-publishing. And it seems like there are a lot of choices made that really reflect that. And that really makes me wonder, what would this exact same game look like if you decided to publish it today? Yeah. Now that's, yeah, that's a good question. Um, uh, Very different. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, I don't know if it would have the impact today that it did. When we published it, there were some smart decisions we made, some other decisions that I like, regret's too strong of a word, but I think, you know, I would have done it differently if I had taken a little bit more time. Um, but one of the the things that we did is we decided to make the book look hefty, right? We wanted it to look the size of a role-playing game at that time. Because we wanted people to take it seriously and to assume that it it was in fact a role playing game, <laughs> and uh, and in the beginning, a lot of people were telling me that it wasn't. Oh, like, course, oh, this is great, yeah. but it's not a role playing game. Yeah, yeah. and um, one of the things I really like about w- one of the decisions that I really I think we did well on was the cover. Uh, I, oh, I remember yeah. spending a lot of time trying to figure out what to do just to make it stand out Mm -hmm. and i think indie games in general and have have done a pretty good job of of setting themselves apart by uh changing up what was sort of the standard cover you know the standard role-playing cover still exists and it's it's an important kind of Mm -hmm. uh signifier to a uh a market right yeah like you you got a bunch of people on the cover and things are flying around they got swords there's at least one sword at least one fireball yeah yeah -hmm. yeah (laughs) and it's i think it's they've they've become more and more codified so 
but that's that's a whole nother sure. grumpy old codger story. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, we, so I wanted it to stand out uh, on the shelf next to other role playing games, but I also wanted it to look like a role playing game. I wanted somebody to pick it up, and um, there's a investment thing that we didn't I didn't know about at the time it, it's taken me some years to figure this out but I found that people need barriers to the game uh they need to feel like they're doing homework while they're reading it <laughs> if that <laughs> maybe that's not the right way yeah, to put what, it what, do, what they, do you mean <laughs> like they have to invest right they need to if I if I gave it away for free uh unless it was really gorgeous I don't think it would have gone nearly as far as it as it did, right? Like, uh, I think people would have been like, oh, that's a neat idea, and then that would have been it. And it would probably have its small and dedicated following, but uh, the fact that you have to spend money on it, I think, increases the odds that you're going to play it. Hmm. Uh, and I think the fact that you read through this book, and this book uh, has to both look like you're doing something serious because you got a big book. Uh, <laughs> but then <laughs> spend all this time telling you, don't worry about it. You, you know, we've got you covered. This is all the information you need. Yeah. Um, and it's a, it's, a, it's a weird paradox about our hobby. And it's not one that I'm particularly complaining about. Actually, it's something I do enjoy. I have shelves and shelves of role-playing games that I can't, you know, if you do the grim math, I won't live long enough to play them all <laughs> and uh <laughs> but i've read them uh-huh. right and part of what goes on there is this sort of lie that you tell yourself that you're you're like i'm doing something serious by reading this and and i will bring it to the table yeah. and we will play this game you know well is there not something to be gained like especially as a designer from reading a game even if you don't get a chance to play it oh absolutely mm-hmm. yes uh actually you know i would even say uh, okay, so this is something that I've been trying to figure out how to say publicly. Okay, you can take a couple uh, yeah. runs at it. Don't worry. <laughs> yes, this is the world exclusive. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think, and this is okay. So when you think back to when Dread came out, mm-hmm. um, I may not have agreed with this when Dread came out, and I know that the main thrust of like indie designers at the time would not have agreed with this. I don't know if. if I would get as much agreement or gruff today. But um, I think that a role-playing game, I think it's worthy to just read a role-playing game. I think that that there's a thing that goes on when you read a role-playing game where you sit there by yourself and imagine the possibilities. There's a... uh, I would... Oh, God. (laughs) This is... So... As you can tell, it's like a little antithetical to 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 the way I was in the past because I'm I'm hedging my bets here. But what I, I what I'm saying is, reading a role playing game is as enriching as reading a book, mm-hmm. and uh, and like a novel. Yeah. Um, I should say specifically fiction, uh, if not more so. But uh, I don't want to go that far because <laughs> I don't want to upset too many people. But it. I think that uh, what you do when you design a role-playing game, especially when you design one well, um, is that you've you, you've basically created an like an algorithm for emergent fiction, right? Mm-hmm. You, you're 
you've created something that people can use to make their own stories or their own adventures or, you know, however you want to characterize, characterize, uh, categorize whatever they're doing. But I'm not saying you get everything you would get out of a role-playing game mm. if you played it. But I do think that if you have the skill to read it, if you if you spend the time to contemplate what the rules are telling you to do and think about uh, what it means. Like if you take a uh, an Apocalypse World move and uh, the example that I kind of go to a lot is the... Um, the chopper in Apocalypse World. These, uh, this character is a um, leader of a biker gang, and there's a move where you can try and get your gang to do something, and you roll these dice, and they tell you uh, that you can choose one. If you roll kind of poorly, you can choose one thing on a list of three, or two things on a list of three. And the list of three is they do what you tell you. They do what you tell them to do. You don't have to make an example out of anyone, <laughs> and they don't fight back. <laughs> and the stories that that suggests, even before you even play, I think is really, really interesting. I, I think it's along the same lines as like if you're reading a book about math and they say that the square root of two is an irrational number and here's a proof and you sit and you think about that proof and trying to figure out why it is true that the square root of two, uh, two is not rational. It's the same sort of uh, there's the same value in that, right? You're, mm-hmm. you're, you're experiencing something, uh, even if it's all entirely internal, which is weird since we are designing fairly social games. For the most part, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to go too far because I know there's some that aren't. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was actually just going to ask you about that, if you have spent much time with uh, one-player role-playing games. Yeah, actually, um, I think about... Oh, I'm going to say five or six years ago, I think, mm-hmm. um, Emily, it's uh, Emily Careboss, who's my wife. At the time, we weren't married. That's why I can kind of know roughly when this <laughs> when this occurred. Uh, ran a, a solitaire contest, a contest for one-player role-playing games. And I had the fortune of being a judge on that contest and got to see a bunch of them. I've not had a chance to play with the sort of... The ones that have come out more recently, mm-hmm. uh, I've been very excited about quite a few of them, but I just haven't, you know, which is so weird because, I mean, it's a one player. How full does your schedule have to be <laughs> that you can't? Yeah. And I mean, of course, like when I was younger, I played a lot of like Choose Your Own Adventures or, or um, the... Oh, like the uh, fighting fantasy books and all yeah, those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. But... I was really intrigued by uh, what came out of the solitaire stuff. Uh, there was some some interesting things there with like uh, some people taking it very literally and using the game solitaire to generate fiction. There were ones that were um, I would I would categorize as like you know take this you know sit alone and think about this for a while and and you know like uh, like guided daydreaming. Mm-hmm if you will. And I don't know why I find that as a different characterization than actual role-playing. I, or, oh. oof, hear me there. This oh, is just like, this is just like the, the <laughs> episode of like contentious opinions. It's so good. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I do think that that is actual role-playing. Sure, yeah, I didn't yeah. mean to call it that, but I was trying to figure out, um, cause I mean, that's what you're doing when you're role-playing. You're do- well, I find that when you're daydreaming in a group, 
uh, those are my favorite moments when I'm role-playing, right? Where, where we're all kind of in sync and uh, seeing this world unfold. Uh, and every time somebody says something, you're like, ooh, yeah. And, then, yeah. and, and you're trying to incorporate yeah. what they've said into your mental image, right? Yeah. And, and yeah. that attempt to get as close as you can to the feeling that all of you are picturing the same thing is like... That's the journey, man. Like, that's the fun of it is trying to figure yeah. out, like, how close are we right now? Because you can't know. Like, there's literally no way to know. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and it, like, it's also sometimes very jarring to me when I've realized that it's not the case. Mm. Uh, like, I've, I've had it happen to me in games before where I would be playing a character and just have, like, you know, here's my character who is a smooth talker, a very, you know, like a political type character who who knows how to get things done and and uh like a fixer you know somebody who comes into town and and uh, i'm trying to come up with like a good example here <laughs> anyways so you got this character who's like a smooth talker mm-hmm. and, and and a fixer and um you're you roll into town and the character's like don't worry i'll set things up and then the gm just it blocks you every step of the way thinking that oh the challenges you want to engage in are you know what you have to get over in order to to set things up you mm-hmm. know and the char- what you were thinking was oh my character is really good at this so we'll just have a scene where we show off how awesome my character is at this thing <laughs> and then we'll move on to what the actual story is but instead we get scene after scene of brutal rejection right. so it's at odds with what you were thinking your character is and and it's it's interesting to when that happens in a game. It It's hard to talk about moments in games where it feels like it's gone off the rails. Because I think uh, when you hear it from the outside, from a third person, you think, well, there's a lot of things I can do with that, right? <laughs> That's, that sounds so interesting. Now now you have trouble where you normally wouldn't. And But... When you're when you're like this is I have this vision of the world and and in this world my character can step into any town and set people up with uh, the jobs they need and and you know local contacts mm-hmm. or whatever you happen to be good at sometimes people can read that as oh so those are the challenges that you want to engage in instead of no the challenges I want to engage in are. Uh, the other stuff, I, I want to just be good at this. <laughs> you know, I want to just, mm-hmm. I always want to be mm-hmm. a... Uh, okay, do you want to give like an example? Because I'm thinking this through now sure. and I'm thinking like, okay, I'm going to play uh, a cat burglar. Right. And you can either say, oh, sweet, so this game is about burgling mm-hmm. and I want to play scenes where I'm trying to steal stuff and I'm I'm being provided with a challenge as to whether or not I can do that. Or you can play the game of, okay, my character's just like a super competent cat burglar, can steal a diamond from the museum, it's all good. And so those that will just happen sort of quickly and smoothly. I want the tension in the game to be around like, I'm a thief, but I can't, you know, hold a relationship together, right. or I, my family's falling apart, or I my personal finances are still in, in shambles, right. even though I'm such a good thief. What am I doing wrong with my life? <laughs> like, like all of your best friends happen to be cops. And whenever they come to yeah. your house, you have to yeah. hide all the stuff you've stolen. And, and <laughs> so, no, that's exactly it, right? Like, yeah, yeah. if that's the story you want to tell, and for some reason it hasn't come across, or uh, I, I don't even think it's like a miscommunication on that 
large of a level. I think it's just, you know, mm-hmm. we when we engage in role-playing games, especially if you have a situation where you have something like a, a game master who is in charge of providing the resistance <laughs> to what you're doing, it's hard mm-hmm. to know where you really want that resistance. And, and uh, you can come up with these sort of, these moments that just contradict what you what you had envisioned uh, mm-hmm. and I think th- those illustrate I think that they stand in in a nice contrast to those moments when you do have you're like oh yeah you steal it that's good and then everyone gets together and has these wacky misadventures where you're not <laughs> you know you're trying to to have your your um live the life of your alter ego but this this gargantuan diamond that you stole and just keeps you know <laughs> popping up in <laughs> right. odd places and... right right and then it becomes a comedy of manners or you know whatever right yeah, yeah you know what this is making me think of um i i heard you on a podcast i'm thinking it must have been across the table um and you said this mm-hmm. thing about basketball of all things it was something like <laughs> The rules of basketball don't exist to enable you to put the basket in the hoop. The rules are there to make it more interesting for for you to do that. And, you know, on this episode of Very Carefully Crafted Opinions, um, (laughs) why is the word interesting there and not challenging or difficult? Oh, all right. Um, Well, okay. So one of the things that um, I look at when I think about design, when I look at sports, because I'm not a particularly sporty guy, and I go to the base or the basketball metaphor quite a bit, and I'm not entirely sure why. I think it's because I'm tall and bad at basketball. And when you when you go to school uh, as a as a tall lad, and they all want you on the <laughs> basketball team, and you're like, that's fine, but you don't know what you're getting into. And then they're like, okay, you're right. Maybe you shouldn't be on the basketball team. So I have a troubled relationship with the sport. But uh, I think about basketball in particular because um, I spent some time just kind of looking at, they have things like shot clocks where uh, you have the ball and you have a limited amount of time before you have to make a shot. The whole reason for that is so that the audience doesn't get bored, right? Like there's, (laughs) (laughs) this is, basketball actually could be uh, an entirely different game where the first team to score then spends the rest of the game just keeping the ball as far away from their basket as possible. Mm. And and it could be a very low-scoring game. And, like, I don't know. That might be an interesting game. Uh, again, not too sporty, so I don't know. <laughs> but I do – I think it's it's interesting that we like look at sports and we're like, Oh yeah, those are, those rules are there because they're there. And I'm like, a lot of them are there to make for an entertaining experience for the audience. Mm -hmm. They're they're not, you know, they're not there to help people get balls in the hoop. Mm -hmm. And I don't think they're even necessarily there to make it really difficult to do it. I mean, there's definitely games where that happens. There's definitely sports where that happens, where, Mm -hmm. you know, like it's the, just see how far you can push yourself. But I think a lot of the really big sports, the main thing that's there is to ensure that people will watch it so that they would sell advertising money. So uh, there's interesting game design going on there. Um, 
so that I mean, I think that's why I think about it as interesting rather than particularly uh, challenging. And also because I do think that uh, rules in sports and, and in role playing games will sometimes get in your way and sometimes help you. Uh, and the decision, if you will, on the design side is, will this make for an interesting challenge or do we need to just get over this rough spot? You know, do we, the shot clock is, is there. So if you don't happen to be the first team to score, you have a chance to score at some point. Right. Otherwise <laughs> somebody's just going to stand there with the ball in their hand. <laughs> So, so questions of interest are like, I, I'm wondering about the concept of fairness, right? And right. I've never found that to be mm -hmm. like a very useful measure of anything, which I guess just because I'm not a board gamer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so like, it's just, that doesn't seem to be a lot there for me. Like, I think unfair can be like entertaining or interesting or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I agree. I think that uh, I have enjoyed lately some rather unfair games. <laughs> well, I mean, okay, let's, I'm going to talk about Dread. Right. Uh, I, the purpose of the tower there, uh, well, I shouldn't say the purpose, but one of the purposes of the tower, one of the reasons that it exists is so that the game can be unfair and you don't blame the host. <laughs> okay. Right? Uh-huh. <laughs> so if that tower falls you don't turn to the person running the game and say, you know, why did you kill me? <laughs> you know, it's, that's your fault. Or at least it feels like your fault. It, it, I mean, the host may actually be putting you in like a horrible situation and, and all that, but like, it feels like your fault because you're the one who last touched the tower. Uh, and that I think is good. I think that's important for a game where there's a lot of character attrition that you don't, you know, engender resentment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in, in losing a character and uh yeah I, I i agree i like i i don't i don't think a game needs to be fair and i i'm often surprised when it when it goes the other way and that surprises people like uh, when a game is unfair in that it helps the players way too much <laughs> and and then they're, they're like wait that can't be right it, we we can't be allowed to just mm. do that <laughs> and uh yeah, you are. Go for it. <laughs> Give it a shot. See what happens. <laughs> I decree. And yeah, um, exactly. Um, and that was that was actually again with 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 Tread one of the early uh, lessons. Uh, I remember just early play tests of the game. I had a question uh, on somebody's questionnaire. Is that what you know? What equipment do you always carry with you, or something? I don't remember exact wording. And they were like, they l started listing all these high explosives. <laughs> it was a zombie mm -hmm. apocalypse thing. And I was, you know, my old inclinations would have been to say no, mm -hmm. to, to, to shut it down, but I didn't. And it was brilliant. <laughs> like they, they blew themselves up falling into right. a basement and, and which brought the house down on everyone else. And, and like, I think that, uh, fairness is, is an interesting, uh, distraction. When designing. Uh, <laughs> It'll uh, get you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you do want to, you want players, <laughs> so you don't want to be like, you, you, it depends. Like, you can definitely build a game and say, this is the most unfair role-playing game in the world. Uh, you're going to you're gonna hate every moment of it. I'm sure you'll get plenty of players with just that kind of advertising. Totally, right? like, yeah. 
Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think that that is definitely one of those things from sort of the board game conception. You see it in, uh, like, well, there used to be a lot of old arguments about balance and mm-hmm. things like that. I think that I think that we've become a little bit more refined about those sorts of things. But you can still see it in some games where, um, I don't, I don't want to name names here, but they happen to be industry leaders. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... <laughs> If you can build a character whose effectiveness uh, in the like sort of main thrust of the game, so if you're you're playing the game, and the game mainly consists of moments of role playing uh, that are kind of crowded around battles that take place over the, the evening, and you've managed to craft a character who completely outpaces everyone else in that battle arena, uh, you can definitely. That could be problematic. Like that could, uh, for the sort of social cohesion of the group, you could have mm-hmm. um, situations where uh, everyone else just feels like they're not contributing and for long chunks of the game. So mm-hmm. I don't design those games. So that's... <laughs> right. Because then you have <laughs> to think about fairness that. and balance. And yeah, that's, exactly. Yeah, everyone has different interests. <laughs> yeah. The, the other, um, the last piece on that that I want to ask about is... Mm-hmm. Um, going back to games as a spectator sport because role-playing games are becoming spectator sports right you were just talking about that um the dread saga and i'm wondering are we going to start seeing design choices being made with an audience in mind uh yes that is definitely one of the areas that i am aiming my own designs at now like after seeing what happened so I want I want to design games so that it's possible for an audience to watch and enjoy what they're experiencing both as fiction and with an understanding of the underlying game, right? Cuz that's this opportunity that we have. If we're just creating sort of like fiction engines where, you know, if the audience isn't aware that there's a game underneath, then I don't know. I I don't find that as interesting. I think that letting the audience in on the sort of game aspect so that they can go, ooh, when a roll <laughs> goes bad or uh, when they, when the players get up to go to the Jenga tower, you know, that's helpful for that because everyone then, you know, is on the edge of their mm-hmm. seats. And uh, so I would like to design for that environment, but also I want to make sure that it's, available for people who aren't producing television shows right Right. like um so that i think is the interesting area to uh for design right now i think if you can create something that can sort of visually dynamic or or even like over a podcast or Mm -hmm. something because there's quite a few podcasts um going on as well but also doesn't require a producer to go out and get a a bucket full of fake pig's blood to dump on someone, or <laughs> whatever, whatever it is that right, right. you're going to do. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, and that's the thing that uh, I've been thinking about since this experience with with um, the sagas of sundry dread, because there's a there's a thing. Oh, okay. You're, <laughs> I'm going to go into another one that I'm worried about. It. Let me say, let me say it out loud, and then see how worried I am about this. Sure. Uh, 
so we do a thing when we play a game and it and and it and it works it really works and you have a lot of fun uh and you kind of connect with the people at the table because it's a you know you've you've just been through an experience Mm -hmm. uh and there's a there's a sort of tendency out there to then be like that was great you people are awesome i can't do that with any other group of people and or you know like you were you were the best game master in the world uh i don't think anyone else can handle this the way you do and i think that 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 praise uh often is deserved and like you know there's something really special when you find a really good group i i i've had a few like amazing groups that like when i move away i miss them more than most things (laughs) that i've moved away from um but as a designer that stabs me in my heart and in my bottom line right yeah because if you if you say that i need that one person there to make this work and i can't clone that person and shrink wrap them and package them with the game then uh then i'm i'm lost and so i think that that's going to be one of the tensions that's going to come out of design as we start doing more and more public things because i think a lot of people are going to watch these games see people do them really well and think well these people are professionals you know Mm -hmm. these this is they're the best at playing this game so i'm not going to try playing because i'm not going to be able to do it but maybe you know maybe my basketball metaphor should come back and maybe (laughs) you know because people do pick up games of basketball even though there's pro basketball players out there so i don't know yeah these are the doubts that i (laughs) that i struggle with late at night (laughs) I don't know what the what the spectating playing relationship is, but I think I think almost certainly there must be more people playing basketball or getting excited about that because the NBA exists and is ubiquitous and people can see it. Yeah. Yeah, you've talked me down. That's good. Good. I'm glad we talked through this because I don't know, like I'm I'm surprised by how many people in the industry don't know what to do about this whole streaming thing. And they're not yeah. sure. They're barely aware of the existence and popularity of it. They're not sure if it's good or bad, or like how to approach that. Um, and that's very strange, really. Yeah, I mean, I absolutely do think it's good, and I and I do want to like like I said, I want to design for it. And and I know that when I was designing Swords Without Master, without like I, I wasn't thinking about Twitch. I don't even know. If, I don't know how old Twitch is. I don't like. I don't think I was aware of it when I was designing Swords, but I was definitely trying to design a game that, uh, when you were playing it, like I wanted to be able to play it with people and and record that and say, "Isn't this a neat story?" Right? Um, instead of, so I wanted to avoid open bookkeeping uh moments where you're like okay i take seven points of damage all right i'll record that <laughs> um and like i have no problem with that kind of i, I play a lot of oh, games yeah. that are like that but i think that that's not necessarily conducive to uh the sort of performance aspect of it mm-hmm. but on the other hand i like the other barrier that i have with designing a game is just getting people to feel confident enough that they can play it with someone yeah Mm-hmm. And uh, the stranger the game is, the harder that is to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. 
but I, I do, yeah, absolutely. The more people that are playing it, playing games like out in the open, uh, and I think uh, what I'm interested in is I want to see what the sort of next level of, um, you know, because we judge players in uh, pro sports, right? Yeah, we know we have stats for them. We we everyone has their favorites for whatever reasons. Like I'm kind of curious to see if that comes about out of all this like if if um if you start people start developing sort of a um a theory of what makes a good D D player mm. uh for for twitch or whatever and yeah. and uh judge people on that level that that does concern me a little bit <laughs> because being a good entertainer and being a good role player are really different right yeah. one of those is performing and one of those is listening and attending and noticing and yeah. maybe not saying a lot actually or being particularly funny or clever or or you know having a nice voice you don't need any of that to um to be very welcome and helpful and um and joyful at the table yeah the i mean i have a um a theory about that which uh involves sort of the suspension of disbelief um which is that I think when we sit down at the table with uh, friends or even if we're at a con and we're with strangers, uh, the amount of suspension of disbelief that our brain, you know, the amount of work our brain has to do to suspend the disbelief is greater than, say, if we're watching uh, a television show or, you know, you still have to have suspension of disbelief. You don't watch a television show and think that's literally happening, but it's there are things happening that make that easier for you. So when we're at the table, because our brains are already there doing that work, uh, the rest of it is so much easier. <laughs> it's you, you don't have to do funny voices. You don't have to be good at acting. You just have to like, you know, in, tell us what you're doing, you know? And, uh, and, and we incorporate it. We, you know, we build our fiction with whatever we can get because our, we're, our brains are in high gear doing that already. And uh, I think that that's a really good thing. And I think that that's absolutely right. The, that there are talents required for doing it publicly that you absolutely don't need mm -hmm. at the table. And uh, I was trying to think if like the converse of that is true, but I don't know. I'm not going to make a statement on that, I guess. Because <laughs> I do think like the... If you're really good at performing, you could still benefit from also being really good at role playing, right? Sure, like yeah. Doing the exact same things you were talking about, about um, listening, finding opportunities to create moments for your fellow players, and um, basically, you know, kind of taking care of all that. Uh, I think that that'll benefit everyone. Yeah, absolutely. I want to I want to talk a little bit more about Swords Without Master. Um, sure. I mean, we talk about games sort of making statements, games being about something other than um, their sort of fictional subject matter. Right. And Swords feels like it's a, it, it, it uses sword and sorcery, but it also feels like it's about storytelling. Like, not just a story yeah. game that uses these conventions, but that you are trying to say something about a way to tell stories. Am I onto something? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so I, I have, my, my, I went to college for creative writing, which is, you know, 
I've, I have since gone back to college for accounting. That tells you how good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> um, but I really, I'm really glad that I did the creative writing route the first time. Um, learned a lot of things and, uh, the, wow, this is really, I shouldn't just be like, Hey, here are my credentials. This is why I can talk about story. So let me go back. <laughs> <laughs> but, but creative writing and accounting together, that makes up yeah. the whole of story games, really. <laughs> yeah. It does actually. That's that's very true. Um, uh, when I when I first started the accounting course, I was a little shocked at at uh, double entry bookkeeping and how much it felt like role playing mm-hmm. in the late eighties and early nineties. Like it just really yeah. And you're like, the, who influenced just, who? You know, that's my yeah. question. I studied accounting for a little while too. Oh okay yeah yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> I, I just have to say that, like, I mean, I, I I just studied accounting so I could figure out my finances for you know my company and Emily's company and all that. But like, mm-hmm. the first when we sat down and we just like made something balance, and I didn't have to worry <laughs> that my answers were wrong because I knew they were right because it balanced. I was like, oh my god, it feels kind of really <laughs> good, doesn't it? Like, it turns out yeah. accounting in general is probably not for me. It's probably not, not like my life's passion or anything, but like. It does feel real good when the number is the same as the other number. Like, hell yeah. <laughs> it's, just, it's just so, because, you know, you, I spend, you know, my previous college experience was just writing mm. things out on paper um, with things that I look back on now that were horrible. Uh, <laughs> like, I, I'm, I'm no fan of what I wrote back then. Mm-hmm. But, and then turning them in and being like, hoping for a good grade, hoping yeah. that, you know, and just like... Whereas if I take an accounting test, I walk away from it and go, I got two wrong. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but okay. So <laughs> to get back to, to Swords here, which is absolutely not about accounting. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I, so there, uh, I had this discussion with Gregor Hutton, who did uh, 316 um, and a few other games. He was back in the day. <laughs> mm-hmm. And we were talking and the... We were talking about just sort of the thing that made uh, that made like a, a a fun fantasy battle. What fun? Fun's not the word I'm looking for here, but an exciting or interesting fantasy battle wasn't like how good you were, or uh, I mean, to some extent, maybe it's how good your opponent is, but mainly it was like that moment where you're standing in the rain and. Uh, th- that rain is running down your arm and down your sword and is dripping off the edge and you just look across the field and you've, you know, slain so many and there's still more standing <laughs> and they're still marching towards you. Uh, I wanted to create a game that that gave people the chance to do that and not feel the weight of those numbers, right? Not not to sit there and be like, oh my God, I'm down to 17 hit points and they're, you know, <laughs> and I wanted to, uh, and what happened was at the time when Swords first kind of came into my head, I was reading a lot of Fafford and Grey Mouser. It was a um, by Fritz Leiber, who, mm-hmm. uh, fiction that I enjoyed as a kid. And I just had this urge to figure out or to find out if, if, if it held up as an adult and uh the early stuff does in kind of an interesting way i feel like as a kid i was like yeah I, i'm 
soulmates with these <laughs> these two warriors. And as an adult, I'm like, oh, he's making fun of these two warriors. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> uh, or at least, you know, having fun with them or whatever. But like, mm -hmm. um, and we, uh, we'd done this experiment, uh, which we called Game in a Jiffy, which um, was this, where we, a group of us got together and tried to make a game uh, from scratch. Like we didn't know what the game was going to be. We tried to make it from scratch and have it published a week later and we had done it once before and we we sat down to do it again and we came up with this game called monkey dome which is the basis of swords without master it was this really kind of fast and loose um post-apocalyptic game based on uh, a friend's observation of the movie thunderdome where uh it just didn't seem like it knew what tone it was like the, if somebody picked up a, a beyond thunder if somebody picked up a shovel in that movie you didn't know if they were about to murder someone horrifically or if they were going to hit them with the flat of the shuffle uh shovel and would go boing and then you know yeah there's so, there's so many like scooby-doo-ass like cartoon gags in that movie yeah. it is like yeah. it's jarring it's weird yeah yeah so the the concept then was we threw out like everything we we'd done with role playing before, and we just said, okay, before you do anything, you're going to roll these two dice. Uh, one of them is going to be the grim die, and one's going to be the zany die, <laughs> and whichever one's higher is the tone of what you're going to narrate. Mm -hmm. So before you do something, you 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 know you, something's about to happen. Uh, you know, this biker gang is coming down on you. They've, in fact, they've, they've got you tangled up in a chain and they're dragging you along the road. Now you're about to roll these two dice to find out if like, what's going to happen next is going to be this horrific blood choking battle. Or if, you know, it's going to have yakety sax playing <laughs> in the background. <laughs> so, and it was a lot of fun. Like it was, it, it was tremendous fun playing that game, and uh, we played it a lot to just figure out how it was going to work. And then when we figured out how it was going to work, I spent an entire week where everything I did, I just completely every waking moment was writing that game or thinking about how to write that game or laying it out or whatever. Because you know you got to get it done in a week, and then uh, we finished it. And as we were we were going to give it away at this uh, little convention here in Massachusetts. And um, we we're, I was living in New York at the time. We were taking the train up and we were bored on the train. So we played again. <laughs> and it was so weird <laughs> to be done with a game and want to play it. I, that's, yeah. that sounds really, really grim, but that's, <laughs> <laughs> that is, you spend a lot of time with a game when you're designing it. Yeah. And sometimes, uh, when you're done with it, you're more like kicking it out the door than you are uh, celebrating its emergence into life. You know? <laughs> uh, but this one, we just, we, and so on the train, we played a version of it where uh, it was based on young guns. We did a Western um, uh, that and while we were playing that game, my brain exploded. I was like, this is the sword and sorcery game I want to do. This is, and it's because of those tones kind of, not letting you really think about what you're about to do, kind of keeping you from coming up with the description until you've rolled them. And then you have this sort of uh, like, so in Swords and Sor uh, in Swords, Swords Without Master, 
the tones aren't grim and zany because that would be that'd be monkey dome that'd be thunderdome but um i brought them like a little bit closer together uh and i made them glum and jovial Mm -hmm. because this to me kind of fit the feel of most sword and sorcery stories that i had read there's usually like one if there's a, a pair of characters one of them is usually mopey and the other one is like cheer up old pal right, that kind of thing right. yeah. and uh and we broadly interpret those tones like jovial is anything that is you know warm or loud or passionate and glum is anything that is cold or quiet and you can be happy and glum at the same time you just have to express it in quiet contentment that kind of thing uh but the other thing that came out of monkey dome that really kind of shocked me was the 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 threads, what became the threads in Swords of that Master, which were the sort of the way you record the moments in the game that will become important. And I think that that's kind of the best way I can think of to describe it. You're not necessarily saying, oh, this is, this is important because you don't know yet which of those will be. Mm. Uh, but by the end, so in, in Swords of That Master, there's there's three types of threads. There's if you roll a certain way, you get what's called a moral, which means you've done something and there's been an unintended consequence. And so you have to write down a little lesson. Um, and that one came straight out of Monkey Dome. And it's like, you know, you've been too jovial. <laughs> you've been or too glum or whatever. Uh, or however... what. Uh, um, Whatever you've done has either further endangered people or worsened your position, even if it accomplished what you want. Um, and this is really good for like characters that want to do that sort of sword and sorcery mm-hmm. style of magic where uh, you can do great things and then you owe. Yeah, you pay, uh, pay a terrible you, price, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and there's the mystery, which is uh, you've rolled in something supernatural or unknown is going to happen. That's going to keep you from doing it. And we're going to write a question down about it. And then the third one is the motif, which I think is the the key to it all. And this is just when somebody else at the table says something that feels like the heart and soul of what you want out of this story. This is, you know, um, uh, they, they just, they describe a pack of wolves that come, uh, you know, howling up to you and then suddenly stopping and whimpering at your feet. And you're like, yeah, (laughs) you know, I I don't know what that is, but I want that. I want more of that. You write that down and uh, we start filling in this, these motifs and they're just uh, these images that we'd like. And they're the counter, the, the sort of the clock that tells us how much more time we have left in this story. And when we fill, we get three of them per, I mean, you can easily think of them as like act breaks or something like Mm -hmm. that. There's, yeah. And, you know, as you fill them in, there's rules about having to echo previous ones and and things like that. And then at the end, you reincorporate some of these threads, not all of them, but some of these threads before you, you'd start deciding which ones you want to reincorporate. And you kind of end the story on this note that usually recontextualizes the entire story right it's uh Mm -hmm. something you you've created something new at the end where 
you know, I, I'm trying to think of like one that would reincorporate these wolves, but maybe one of the characters just wanders off into the north, like <laughs> with right, a, right. with one last wolf with them, and <laughs> it's this sad ending, and you're you're like, wow, I didn't know this was going to be the story of how you left civilization forever, <laughs> um, and and you don't know it's going to be that until you get there, but then when you get there, it had to have been because why would the wolves have been there in the first place, right? And uh, I think it's it's what I'm trying to. I've gone really. I've gone quite a while now without directly answering your question. I apologize, <laughs> uh, but maybe I can nail it with this because there's this thing uh, in writing where one of the things you you want out of an ending is uh, something that's unexpected but inevitable. And this is, I mean, particularly true of genre writing. It's not necessarily true of of all writing, but like, and it's hard to, it's hard to do that. But if you've got a group of people sitting at the table and the rules are, uh, not telling them to do that, but tricking them into doing that. Um, it's, it's a wonderful moment. I really enjoy it. Yeah. And that's an interesting codification of something that I feel like a lot of GMs, a, a lot of, um, good, smart, experienced, interesting, people who like GMing um, do, which is notice small things that your players either toss out there or, or get yeah. excited about and then just discreetly make a note of it. And then, you know, mm. that image or that melody or that whatever reference will come back at the end of the game. And, oh, my God, they love it every time, no matter how small <laughs> they're going to ask yeah. for it. Yeah, it's good stuff. It really... Mm. it. it makes you feel like the character the story was about your characters yeah you know um and it also because it's like one of the design sort of edicts i had or um, while designing swords is that nothing in that game happens without two players agreeing to it so the structure of it is uh like in a perilous phase somebody makes a demand and then somebody you know and you hand the dice to someone and they answer the demand show us how you tame the wolves of the north and then this person rolls the dice and, and describes how it happens those two people are working together to make that uh I, like i really want that to happen because i want to create um a sense of audience mm. i want people to feel like there's somebody interested in what they have to say and i mean we kind of take that for granted in role-playing games, but oftentimes that job falls just to the game master, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You just, everyone's pointed at that one person and I kind of uh, spread it out a little bit more. And that's partially just because of my own um, playing style. Like yeah. this is, <laughs> Swords was definitely a game I wrote so that I had a game I enjoyed running at conventions. Like I, I enjoyed running Dread, but... Um, <laughs> it's more exhausting to me than than swords is like i can walk away oh also swords is like a two-hour game oh <laughs> man that's great that's like um with a break that's pretty much the length of my attention span so i'm uh, yeah i'm very into that yeah <laughs> it's it's like i sit down and uh we kind of you know it starts at say 8 a.m on a sunday morning and <laughs> we're just like we sit down and we we chat for about five minutes and then for the next five or so, I just kind of give the spiel and then we make characters for the next half hour and then we take a break and we come back and then we just play for like an hour 
in 20 minutes or so and we have a full complete story Mm -hmm. and everyone's like that's it we did it that is so satisfying oh my god yeah (laughs) it's and you know because you're you have control over how long it takes because you you're filling in those motifs and i will i will tell people especially if i'm like on a a time limit like i gotta get out of here so (laughs) pay attention to this and write things down but yeah so audience is is important like finding a way make people heard and to make people felt feel like they've been heard right like that their contribution to what's going on in the game isn't just uh window setting or you know now we hear from Bob, who's going to tell us again uh, how beautiful his horse is, and then we move on. <laughs> Good. Excellent. I enjoy. T- uh, <laughs> tell me more about uh, Sunday mornings with swords. Right. I mean, it's because the game runs short, and because I don't need to do any prep for it, uh, then I, I, I've had for quite some time my eye on Sunday morning uh, because I'm like, everyone leads busy lives. Uh, But here's a time, not everyone, but here's a time where if we can get up and my, my vision of it, my naive vision of it (laughs) was that it would be a local type thing where I get up and we go to a, a bakery that has a nice, vegan blueberry muffin and mm-hmm. a cup of coffee <laughs> and we just spend two hours on a Sunday morning playing a game and then uh, everyone's like yay and then we're off to our day it's not that far off we I play it online uh and uh I do it over hangouts mm-hmm. um and do, do you although, make your own vegan blueberry muffins I do okay good you, <laughs> do. you send me the recipe because I need to uh, I need to put that in the show notes if it uh, okay good yeah, yeah I will yeah. um uh, from Vegan with a Vengeance. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, the, uh, yeah, so we we get together. I try to get together any Sunday that I can. I can't mm-hmm. always make it. And uh, it, do- it comes together when I'm not there some of the time. Um, That's cool. Uh, yeah, I, I, I encourage people to, to get together whenever. But, you know, um, this month in particular, I've been trying to do it on the Pacific time zone because i know that Uh, uh, because for them what like i normally do it at 9 a.m uh on a sunday morning because that seems like a reasonable time for me but for pacific time zone that's 6 a.m so that's not so reasonable for them but it's uh yeah we get together we just have a cup of coffee and you know people are allowed to have their breakfast there whatever we're on hangouts and we play a game for about two hours and then uh everybody's off and they go on to their day and it's really kind of energizing but one of the side effects of this that i've really enjoyed is that sunday morning has now kind of become the de facto con slot for hmm. swords without master i mean if you can if you can get one of those i highly recommend that to any designer out there if they if you can if you can get people to associate a time of the week with your you know <laughs> I mean, it's a it's a little bit like Monday Night Football or whatever, yeah, you know. Yeah, like yeah. it was. Um, so anytime there's a convention, uh, I usually expect a few uh, social media contacts from people showing 
you know, on a Sunday morning showing pictures of their, uh, their game going on or whatever. And, uh, because it's so low prep and I think it just works really well. You don't, you don't want to be low energy for it, but you don't have to be like prepared for it. In the zone. Yeah. 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 (laughs) And the, the one that we play, we, we've kind of had a lot of fun with it because it's, we deliberately set it in a, Thundar the Barbarian, uh, if that rings out to anyone, it's this old cartoon uh, mm-hmm. uh, that's post-apocalyptic Earth uh, where there are wizards and high tech, and it was the idea was to create um, sort of a situation where you didn't really have to know the world, <laughs> like yeah. whatever you can think of is there. So you know, you make whatever character you want to do, and uh, We'll just throw it in, and this wizard just happens to know spells from a spell book, and this one is an astronaut, sure, who <laughs> has a has a tricorder, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorite aspects of the sword and sorcery genre is how elastic it is, uh, especially with other genre. And uh, I have a few theories about why that is, but it, in particular, like you know, Conan. Uh, one of the more famous Conan stories. I won't say which for spoilers, mm-hmm. but he, he encounters an alien and hmm. uh, the Fawford and Grey Mousers. There's like a, in one of the books, there's like a six or seven page aside where they run into a time traveler from future Germany who's trying to get mythical beasts for a zoo. And it has nothing to do with the plot. That's and, so good. Right? Because <laughs> you know that that was just like a reference to one of his like buddy's stories. He's right. like, I put your yeah. OC in my fic. Yeah. I love it. So, and, um, so yeah, so it's, it's, it's got a feel to it. And those of us that have played it kind of have like a, our own headcanon about it, but it's, uh, <laughs> there's no continuity that you have to worry about. So, you know, yeah. anyone can come in. We, we welcome new folk all the time. Uh, we love teaching the game. I, I literally do love teaching this game. So that's, I don't want to, I have games I do not love teaching. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Sometimes the teaching is, is a barrier, but sometimes it's a delight. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There's only one more thing I want to ask you about. Okay. Um, and we're actually kind of circling a little bit back to when you were talking about Monkey Dome. Right. And I'm I'm really interested in the way that that was produced and the way that you talk about making it being so energizing and I'm wondering if that had something to do with this very social way that it was created, like the um, the playstorming. Yeah. Um, tell me more about that. And is that a mode that you feel like you could work in again? Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no. It's, so playstorming started, I mean, the, the name is very tongue-in-cheek. I mean, <laughs> I want to, I, I feel like... Uh, I've had, there's been some responses to it where people are like, that is the dumbest name. And I'm like, I know <laughs> that is the really? dumbest name. But it's just a little portmanteau. Yeah. No, I mean, I like it, but it's, it was meant to sound, um, at the time it was meant to sound like a, uh, disruptive.com. Kind oh of. yeah, sure. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Biz.biz. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but so going back a few years, <laughs> uh, my friend, Jim Sullivan and I, we uh, talked games quite a bit, and we would just get, get together. We'd go out to eat. I was living in New York at the time, and when I was living in New York, it, uh, it didn't, I either I was role-playing or I was eating out with people. Like, those were the mm. two social events. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, 
we would go to restaurants and we start talking about game ideas that we had. And then we would just push our plates away and we'd have like the salt and pepper out and we'd start trying to play the game. Uh, we'd carry dice on us because we're big nerds. And, <laughs> uh, and so that was this thing that was sort of naturally occurring. And I remember like when it, when it occurred to me, we were just sitting in a park actually it was, it was me and, uh, my friend Jason Keeley and, and Jim Sullivan. Um, Jason Keeley now works for Paizo. So, uh, mm-hmm. th- again, I'm just, I'm name dropping here. But um, <laughs> uh, and I was just like, let's make this official, right? <laughs> this, uh, this sounds like mm-hmm. a marriage proposal. I was like, let's make this official. And I got down on one knee <laughs> and I say, will you play Storm with me? And uh, That's beautiful. I'm in Yeah. <laughs> And so we kind of came up with this idea, like the structure for it, which was um, we wanted to make sure that everyone uh, felt free to offer whatever, you know, input they wanted. But there was a game bearer and that was the Mm -hmm. person who uh, was in charge, ultimately in charge of of deciding what happens with that game um, so that like you didn't have these sort of weird situations where, well, I came up with the main mechanic, you know, like, so we just, you know, you just decide it ahead of time. You're the game bearer. You get to decide what's, you know, what's in and what's out. And if you want to go on and make something with it, you can. And, uh, we had a few other rules. I cannot remember them off the top of my head. Um, but the main idea was that we would sit down and just, play the game and try to invent it while we were playing it. Like you weren't yeah. supposed to sit and discuss things. If you had an idea, we implemented it right away. Mm-hmm. And that was really productive. And I think the first one we did, uh, I kind of, I brought an almost finished game, uh, time and temp at the time I was working on it. And mm-hmm. so it was, you know, it, it wasn't quite as exciting as when we've made them out of thin air. But then the first one we made out of thin air was this, um, trial and terror uh supernatural victims unit which is uh (laughs) like a law and order style game you played it it's timed i think Mm -hmm. that one's only supposed to go two hours it's been a while since i've read it i can't remember if it's only supposed to be two or one hour but halfway through you play detectives for the first half in a world where it's new york city but there are vampires and ghouls and werewolves and they just live in normal society Mm -hmm. um and there's a crime that's been committed, and in the first half of the game, you play the detectives, and all the roles you make are pushing these points forward to the second half, where you play the district attorneys, who have to then prosecute the crime. And, oh, there's so many things that I kind of love about this game, because like one of them, because <laughs> the supernatural aspect is really great, because it meant nobody had to understand law. Because you could just make up. There's no. Oh right, yeah. Because there's no, yeah. there's no precedent for yeah. you know, whatever a, vam- a vampire like, bite. He's like, well, I was possessed. Oh, you're right. Okay, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we'll have to. We'll just hit you with a misdemeanor, you know, or yeah. felony possession or whatever. But um, and the another thing that I just really loved about this game is that it was all about like shoving these points forward, and at no point does the game ever tell you whether you were you got the right people so you you play these detectives investigating this crime sending all the evidence to the da's and you play the da's 
trying to prosecute them. And at the end, you make this role to find out what happened at the trial where they uh, found guilty or not. And then that's it. Mm. You, you were never, ever told if uh, the werewolf that you put away was actually guilty. Uh, and I, I kind of really, I really, really dig that part of the yeah, game. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. But that just... Like, that was our first game in a jiffy. We came up with, I think, all of the game that first night we decided to play it. And then uh, spent about a week kind of refining and writing it up. And then we printed it out and we brought it to JiffyCon and handed it out and played it a few times with people. And then, I mean, it's out there. I have it for free on my website. So if people want to check it out, they can. I hope people do. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, no, the process is so exciting and what happened was we did this for a few games that we put out and then we did it for a bunch of games that that, you know game design you're going to create a lot of games that you'll never ever finish right like you just you just got to go through them and there's nothing about this process that guarantees something's going to actually be finished so um we did uh a few games that just didn't you know they got to a point and we're like okay there's nothing that's going to happen here they just petered out or whatever Mm -hmm. And then uh, we all went off and did our own things. And two years ago, I was at Gen Con and Jason Keeley was there. And he was like, I have this game idea. What are you doing for the next hour? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so uh, he and I and Emily, we sat down and we playstormed. And oh, my God. (laughs) I was like, it was like a coming home, right? I was like... Why have I not been doing this all along? Uh, <laughs> it is a very fun process. I really, it, if you can get a group of people who are eager to n- not discuss the implications of the rules, but just do them. Yeah. Because uh, I cannot emphasize that enough. And then later on, you can decide if mm-hmm. it worked or not. You know, like that's, uh, or in the middle of it, you'd be like, this is not working. We're cutting that out and go on from there. Right. But, um, yeah, no, it's a it's a it's a wonderful process. That sounds marvelous. And yeah. I I like that because I mean I know we talked about one player games earlier on. I'm playing the beast yeah. right now. There are lots of amazing oh, one player yeah, games, but oh my god, it's so good. Um <laughs> but but for the most part we're playing because it's social, right? We want to interact yeah. with people. Um and but then game design itself can be kind of a lonely pursuit, and that is oh, like yeah. such a bummer. Right? You you like when you hear from people who are like in bands or something like that and you're just yeah. like oh. <laughs> that sounds kind of cool yeah like yeah. what's it like to work with people <laughs> to not <laughs> shut yourself away that's a lot of fun how is the beast going by the way it's it's pretty amazing yeah. at first i think i kind of had the thought like oh maybe i'll i'll like tweet about it or i'll get like a little blog going or i'll like publish parts of what i hell no <laughs> hell no <laughs> I will never I will never speak a word <laughs> of what I have written. Oh my goodness. It's um it's it's really cool and I can already see like you could shuffle the cards differently and play it differently and it would come out so amazing. And also a different person could play the exact same set of right. cards and their story would be different and amazing. Like it's it's quite a piece of design. What uh, what have you been playing lately that you're really excited about? Uh, I just got done with a short campaign of Urban Jungle. Uh, Urban Jungle is this... So, there's a company called Sanguine Games, and they do, uh, 
they do most of their games are anthropomorphic games and they have a system oh mm-hmm. they did a um a game based on the usagi yojimbo comic uh that i think mm-hmm. came out the same year that dread did actually i think i remember buying it then and it's one of my all-time favorite games is um it's so weird that i don't want to say weird but <laughs> like it is th- these games they have they have some heft to them, right? They're a little, they're a little yeah. on the, the crunchy side, uh, to use an old term. Um, but it's clear the people who've made them have played them and they know what's going on. Like this Usagi Yojimbo one, uh, you know, it's a samurai game and the combat in that involves so much of just grabbing your sword and just waiting to see what your opponent's about to do. And then trying to do it just before they do it, and it's very. Mm. Uh, we 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 ran a, a recently ran a short little campaign of that, um, and so much of the fighting was not fighting. And I like I always get a little like I get my my rankles up when people are like talk about a game that's you know about combat, and they're like we we play it so well we don't even do the combat or whatever. <laughs> like <laughs> right but, right right like yeah, there's yeah. this moment i remember in the game where uh uh emily was playing in it and she she uh, had this dog that was a former general and there were these ronin that were kind of roughing up some some peasants and they stepped up to them and one of the ronin went for his sword and she just she had her war fan with her and she just place the war fan on the hilt of the sword before he could draw it out of his scabbard and that was it the fight was over it was you know it's like mm-hmm. okay i can't win this i'm gonna go home uh or <laughs> i'm gonna apologize back away and leave maybe i'll come out later when you're not paying attention or whatever so then that was usagi Ojimbo. it was a samurai game so they definitely had that their urban jungle was a noir game and it did for noir the exact same thing the fights in that went down like you don't lose hit points you just uh you activate what are called um soaks which are ways to i guess absorb damage until you you can't or whatever and uh like one of them one of my favorites is uh oh i can't remember what it's called but the main thing that happens is you stop a bunch of damage that happens to you and you scream and all of your allies rally. <laughs> and it's so great. Because for a noir game, that's, you know, there's a certain type of character <laughs> that that's brilliant for. <laughs> and it's just, I'm not going to be good in a fight. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. the first time someone shoots at me, yeah. I'm going to scream and let you all go, you know. <laughs> and it's just filled with all that kind of stuff. And we, the game we played, it was it was, it was was great. It was um, built around, we set it in the 1920s and uh, there was a, uh, film star who's kind of on her decline and, and that was one of the main characters and the the whole thing turned out to be this arc we didn't know it at the time but turned out to be this arc of her becoming marrying into the mob and becoming the the de facto head of a part of the, the local mob and it was this oh, I mean we ended it with a wedding it was so good mm-hmm. so good that sounds rad that's so exciting I'm gonna link to that um, well, you know, I feel like we can wrap up here. Um, is there anything else that right. you wanted to mention or kind of toss out there that my listeners should know about? Uh, 
Um, I'm currently working on my Robin Hood game, which is actually in many ways inspired by the Sanguine system. Uh, it doesn't run the same way, but I like take lessons that the things I just gushed about are things that I'm trying to make happen in that Robin Hood game because I want I don't want fights in the Robin Hood game to be these grim slogs. I want them to be, you know, you draw a sword and you swing it at someone and they're like, oh, you're going to swing a sword at me. I'm going to run. <laughs> that's right. That's, um, <laughs> these moments. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And so that that one, uh, I'm still working on it, but I'm talking about it online. And I use the hashtag Lincoln Green uh, because that is, according to some of the legends, the color of the outfit that Robin Hood gave to his merry men. Lincoln Green. Yeah. It's a, what does... Hmm. Well, there's a town called Lincoln, and I think that's the green dye that they made there. Uh, and I, I, the character, I think what's was supposed to be important about that particular color was that it's probably uh, expensive. So hmm. it was like, look at us, we're fancy, <laughs> we're fancy forest folk. <laughs> um, I've, I've been just eating up. Uh, one of the my favorite aspects of designing role playing games is the research mm, phase, mm-hmm. and I've just been eating up like Robin Hood stories and then uh, academic articles about Robin Hood, and like just sort of um, digging into medieval history in general, trying to find out like what the uh, actual rebellions of around that time were like, and mm-hmm. and by that time, I mean a sweep of almost 500 years because it's he's a mythic character so there's there's uh, yeah uh, but it's a, yeah it's a lot of fun um researching for a game i highly recommend it hell yeah <laughs> uh, it's a you know i i look forward to your game about dramatic combat and class warfare yeah <laughs> and fancy clothes <laughs> don't forget the fancy clothes <laughs> so so important um well that sounds rad Okay, cool. Well, uh, if people want to keep up with you, where should they go? Uh, my blog is Dig a Thousand Holes, with the thousand being the number. So, uh, And otherwise, I'm Epidiah, E-P-I-D-I-A-H, on like Twitter or Facebook or Google. Uh, Epidiah Ravichal. I mean, you're, you're pretty easy to Google. Yeah. No, you that's... Know? <laughs> it's no Alex Roberts. It's very... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that was, I mean, uh, when Dread first came out, that was, oof. <laughs> I know, I just search on Jenga, because uh, the word Dread shows up in in context of role-playing games all the time. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah, that's true. You know, Dread or Dread that. And... SEO. That's the, so that's the answer to the question that I asked earlier. It's like, oh, if I'd, ma- if I'd made it now, it would have much better SEO. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Um, This was extremely fun and good. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Well, thanks again to Epidiah for joining us. And as always, thank you for listening. If you have thoughts on today's episode, you can always email me. That's backstorypodcast at gmail.com or follow at backstorycast. You can also follow at muscular Pikachu if you want to hear what I personally am up to, which is mostly nonsense. If you enjoy Backstory, you should go to oneshotpodcast.com for more great shows like System Mastery, in which goofballs Jeff and John scour the bargain bins of game stores across the country to bring you up-to-the-decade reviews of failures and secret successes of RPG history. Music for Backstory is provided by Ujiko. 
The track is called Thinking of You, and you can find more at soundcloud.com slash U-J-I-C-O. Talk to you later, heroes.